Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with a baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. That, uh, that text is pretty familiar to us. Basically, James and John and included in that was with his mother they were asking if they could sit on his right hand or left hand and that's not really what i want to focus on here what i want to look at is, is a couple of statements first of all he said can you drink the cup that i'm going to drink and they said they would he the cup he's going to drink of course was uh, the cup of uh, despair and the cup of punishment and the cup of pain he was going to be crucified and, and of course they would probably following his same steps along that line. But the other thing that we want to look at this morning is that he said, uh, can, you, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Now, in order to understand what Jesus meant when he referred to the baptism that I'm baptized with, we need to look at what the gospel tells us about baptism itself. What is it? When we use the term baptism... Uh, the, the word itself is a transliteration. It's not a translation, it's a transliteration. Which means, from the Greek language that, that the New Testament was originally written in, or, or the Aramaic and then to the Greek, the Greek language, the word baptism is the word baptizo. It is not translated, it's simply written in an English form. English letters for Greek letters. The, the word itself actually meant to uh, immerse. Now, to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about, when we run, run across the term believe or faith in the New Testament, the Greek word is pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S in English. But it's translated faith. It's not transliterated. It's translated. And so other words in the New Testament are translated, but the word baptism is not. And, and the, the obvious reason is that the uh, early translators of the New Testament from Greek to English were, were reluctant to use a term that actually translated a word that came in conflict with some of the practices they were involved in. For instance, uh, it could be adapted to a different doctrine of, for instance, effusion or pouring of water on someone rather than immersing them or sprinkling instead of immersing them. The examples we have in the New Testament of baptism, however, tell us that that's not what it was, in addition to the fact that when you translate the word, it means to immerse. For instance, in Acts chapter 8, verse 35 through 38, we find a man in the desert with Philip the evangelist, and this man was a eunuch in the, uh, in the office of, of the queen of Egypt, and, uh, or Ethiopia, and, and as he was traveling along, he was reading from Isaiah 53, and when Philip joined the chariot, it says the eunuch said, See, here's water, as they went on their way, and Philip preached to him Jesus. He said, See, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? 
And Philip said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Christ, you, you may be. And the eunuch said, I believe. And it said he stopped the chariot and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He immersed him. Well, the, the Bible accounts tell us that there are three different ways that this term baptism, three different things that the word baptism is applied to. This is one of them we just read, and this is the one we're going to get to in a minute. But when we talk about baptism, it was used in, in different scenarios. For instance, when John the Baptist came preaching, he came preaching baptism for repentance in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 3 at verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, and this is the first one we'll look at, baptism of repentance. And this text says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he of whom it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John's not the first guy in the Bible that baptized anyone. Matter of fact, the Old Testament required certain ones, certain times, and certain events for people to be baptized or immersed or washed in water. For instance, if a person came into conflict with a dead body inadvertently, then before they could come back into the presence of the Lord, they had to be washed. They had to wash their bodies. They had to be immersed before they could make sacrifices. That's found in, in Leviticus 16 and another one in Numbers chapter 19. And at certain times when they defiled themselves with things that were called unclean, they were actually baptized. So John isn't introducing something new or strange to these people. And even in that day and age, when people decided that they wanted to be an Israelite or Jew, then they were given a procedure whereby this could take place. And it took place this way. The males were circumcised. Then they confessed that they were sinners. And then they were baptized or they went through a purification process and they took all their old clothes that they had before and they burned them. As a matter of fact, their nation clothes or Gentile clothes, they burned those clothes. And they sometimes even took a different name and they were immersed and washed and came up on the other side and they're supposed to be at that point. They were accepting the Jewish religion. What they were doing was coming into the presence of God. You had to be cleansed physically when you touched something that defiled the flesh. You had to be cleansed physically before you could come into the presence of God. Isn't that interesting? That was so prevalent that, that the people that, about 400 years before Jesus came, the people had been building what we called mikvahs. I think I've mentioned this before in preaching. And these were what we would call in our day and age a baptistry. These were, these were um, two, uh, tubs, not tubs, but 
hewn out of rock, they were uh, accesses so that people could come down in the water. It could be filled with running water. They could come down into the water, take off all their dirty clothes, come through the water, and come out clean on the other side. And it was always fresh water, either from a freshwater spring or from a river. And so John was there baptizing in the River Jordan, and the people were confessing their sins. It was a baptism of repentance because they were going to come into the presence of the Lord. Repent, therefore, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they were washing their bodies, according to the Old Testament ritualism. They were washing their bodies, confessing their sins. We're dirty, we're washing our bodies. That's probably where we got this idea of cleanliness is next to godliness. Before they could get next to God, they had to go through a, a baptism, repentance. In Luke chapter 7, verse 27, it says, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, talking about John, before your face, which shall prepare your way before you. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. They were purifying themselves so that they could come into the presence of God which was basically Jesus. They were coming in the presence of Jesus. The Jews who uh, were confronting Jesus about it and denying to do this, of course, were denying the authority of God. And so in Matthew chapter 21, verse 25 through 27, Jesus was discussing this business of baptism with the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and the uh, priests and the lawyers and he asked them the question after they'd asked him a question. He said, the baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from men? Well, now they, they weren't discussing whether or not they could go through a ritual baptism, ritual immersing. They were discussing whether or not John's baptism of getting them ready for the kingdom of God. They were discussing whether or not he had authority to do that. And so he asked them if... Is it from heaven or from God, or from uh, from uh, heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, "If we shall say from heaven, he'll say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? Why weren't you baptized? Or, but if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Neither tell you, he said, Neither I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. Now Paul described the purpose of John's baptism to twelve men at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, these 12 men had been baptized by John, gone through the purifying process for the coming of kingdom. It was the baptism of repentance. And so in Acts 19 and verse 4, then said Paul, John verily baptized, he's talking to these 12 men, with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, that should come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. Getting them ready for Jesus. Well, when these men heard that, then they were baptized again unto Christ. Anyhow, Jesus himself was baptized by John. That, that sort of puzzles us sometimes, doesn't it? He, he didn't have any uncleanness. He had no, no business being cleansed again before coming in the presence of God since he himself is the presence of God. But in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, he came from Galilee to, to the Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John said, no, no, 
He forbade him saying, I have need of you to be baptized of you, and you come to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and of course Jesus was baptized. Now then, Jesus asked the question, Can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He couldn't have been talking about the baptism of repentance because they'd already gone through that. Jesus and the apostles had. So let's say, okay, it's not this baptism of repentance that he's talking about, is it? The next baptism that we have to take into consideration is the baptism of repentance unto remission of sins. The remission of sins, for the remission of sins. In Acts chapter 2 at verse 36, after Jesus rose from the dead, you remember? The day of Pentecost, the first time all the Jews got together and the apostles were there, it says, Peter said to all those that were gathered, he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now he's combining two elements here. He said, be baptized for the remission of your sins. So your sins can be forgiven. They'd already been baptized under John's baptism. So they were ready for Jesus when he came. Now then, they were being told, you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He did not say, repent and be baptized for remission of sins and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind. He said, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism that is referred to by Jesus when he spoke to Nicodemus is this baptism for for repentance, or for remission, pardon me. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 6, Jesus answered, talking to Nicodemus who came to him at at night. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now here's what Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Two elements involved here. You have to be born of water, of water, and of the Spirit. Both. Okay. Now, in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Paul is relating his, uh, his uh, experience when he came to, to Ananias after he had been confronted on the road to Damascus, you recall, and he had been blinded by the presence of the Lord. And the Lord told him to go and wait in the street called Straight in Damascus. And Ananias was going to come to it. Well, Ananias told him this. And this is what Paul is repeating to, to us. In Ananias chapter in Acts chapter 2, 22, verse 16, Ananias said, And why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, Paul was not being baptized unto repentance. Paul was being baptized unto the remission of sins, just like Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 39. Be baptized and wash away your sins, not wash away the filth of your contact with the world. Now, that's what happened 
when John came. Remember? Keep this in mind. This is, this is really important to remember. These people actually felt like, the Jews felt like, and God had told them before, they felt like when, some, when, when they were baptized, that is, when they went through the water of purification, that their flesh was being purified. Their flesh was being cleansed. They were told to repent of all their bad, bad sins and so forth. And when they went through the water, that was a cleansing process. Now that's what they were being told. Now that's not what's happening when you're baptized for the remission of sins under Jesus. What's happening is something is happening on the inside. You're being born again of water because you're in baptism, but of the Spirit. Your spirit is being cleansed. In 1 Peter chapter 3, at verse 21, this text says, The like figure when to the baptism also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So you're not putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not cleanliness is next to godliness. It's the filth of the spirit that's being cleansed. Your spirit is being renewed. You're being reborn. Hebrews chapter 10, 22 says, Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. But it's our hearts that are being sprinkled from a, with a pure conscience, from a pure conscience. This is the new birth that Jesus is talking about when he's talking about being baptized for the remission of sins. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, it says, Know ye not that so many of us, as are baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. Now, that's not at all what happened in John's baptism. This is happening in the baptism of Jesus. John's baptism was, get your bodies ready because you're going to face the kingdom, the coming kingdom. You're coming in the presence of God. This baptism is when you go down into the waters of baptism because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's going to take away your sins and you're going to be born again anew. And that's what he says. We're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And he said it again in Galatians 3.27 when he said, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Since Jesus was never baptized for the remission of sins, he was never baptized for remission of sins, then when we look back at that point where he said, Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He's not talking about baptism of repentance because they could. They did. That happened. It happened. It already happened. It was in the past. He's not talking about being baptized for the remission of sins because that happened after this occasion and Jesus was never baptized for the remission of sins. But we are. So what's he talking about when he says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? That's our question. That's what we have to come to. It's not something that he was going to do or they were going to do. Get that, get that in mind. He's not saying, can you be baptized like I'm baptized? He's saying, he's saying can, you, can you have the same baptism that I'm baptized with? Can something happen to you like it happened to me? Okay. What happened to Jesus? Well, we know 
that when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan, that he was baptized when Jesus came up out of the waters. He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we know that, don't we? The Holy Spirit immersed Jesus. Completely overwhelmed him. Luke chapter 3, verse 21-22 says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And the voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay. In Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lining upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the apostles would have remembered what Jesus, what John said about Jesus after he baptized him. In Luke 3.16, John said, I indeed baptize you with water. Now here's the promise. I indeed baptized you with water. But one mightier than I comes, whose latchet of shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you, not you will be baptized. He will baptize you. Something is going to happen to them like something happened to Jesus. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this promise was repeated in Acts chapter 1 at verse 4 after Jesus had resurrected, you recall. He was, he was meeting with his apostles just before he ascended back into heaven. And at verse 4 it says, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Now he's telling them it's going to happen. It's coming. So in Acts chapter 2 at verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost has fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It happened. Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Now, my friend, do not believe, do not think for a minute, he's talking to you. He was talking to the apostles. He was not talking to me. No promise was made to me that I'm going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Never was. No promise was ever made to me. No promise was ever made to you or anyone else besides the apostles that they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that should be understood. Now, we, we, uh, we get, get the uh, impact of this. When uh, Peter went down to the city of Caesarea in order to talk to the house of Cornelius and uh, his family, to Cornelius and his family, because he had heard that they had received the word of God. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter went down to the city of Caesarea and it says, while he spoke these words, he's preaching Jesus to the house of Cornelius. It says, the Holy Spirit fell on them that heard the word. The Holy Spirit baptized these people. Fell on them. 
Now, this was, it's, it's interesting because it never happened to anyone else besides the apostles. But here it happened. These people had not been at the day of Pentecost. They had not been there. They were not present. They were not privy to anything that had been said before. And now Peter's preaching to them, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it says, They of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that they should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we have? So he's saying, you, Now you need to baptize these people for the remission of their sins because the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. All right. Now that happened, it didn't happen according to a promise because the only ones that had been promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the apostles. But now it happened to the house of Cornelius. And the reason it happened was to identify the fact that also on the Gentiles, the word of God could be preached and they could come into the kingdom. And that's what happened when you read the book of Acts and chapter 11, when Peter was brought back into the company of the people at Jerusalem. He had to defend himself and he gave them this story so that they would understand the same thing he did. And that was that the Gentiles, the nations, us, could also come into the kingdom. But now those are the only two accounts in the New Testament, in the Bible, where the Holy Spirit actually baptized anyone. Those two. Those two times. That's all. Now, there's no, gen there's no promise given the general population of believers that the Holy Spirit will baptize us. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit won't come into our lives. But that means that this is the only time that the Holy Spirit was promised and that that promise was, was uh, vouchsafed. The early communities of the believers enjoyed the powers of the Holy Spirit while the Word of God was being fully developed and recorded for all of us. Now that's a mouthful. The Holy Spirit was working through the apostles and those had been baptized by the Holy Spirit and on others, they were performing feats that could not be performed after the close of the first century. Now what happened was this. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 9 tells us, As we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, we being many are one body in Christ, every one members of another. Now Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He said, Having then gifts differing according to grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, which meant that they could speak the word of God without having to learn it. The Holy Spirit was speaking through them, and revealing his word and his will through them. Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Teaching, let us teach. He that exhorts exhortation, he that gives, let, it do, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. The Holy Spirit was providing abilities to these people to do things they needed to do without access to the written word. Another text describes it this way. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now what I'm saying is there are other people other than the house of Cornelius 
and the apostles who were able to do things that were extraordinary above human capacity, doing things for God, because the Holy Spirit was working through them. Okay, here it is. He says, You know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto the dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give unto you uh, to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Now there are diversities of gifts. Somebody got some power, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. There There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Holy Spirit gave them the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. The deaf could hear. Those who were mute could speak. Those who were blind could see because somebody had a gift of the Spirit that was given to them that they could perform these manifestations on them, these activities on them, that would manifest themselves in healing. To another it says, working of miracles. Somebody could work miracles. To another, prophecy, speaking the word of God, revealing it. To another, discerning of spirits. They could tell the difference between good and bad. To another, different kinds of tongues or languages. To another, the interpretation of those languages. But all these working the the one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now, Paul admonished those who were gifted in this fashion, some could, to be careful in how they evaluated themselves and how they were employed to benefit the believing community. So in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1 he says, Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts. So they had some gifts. They had some properties given to them called the gifts of the Spirit that enabled them to have some capabilities that they would not humanly have because God was working through them through the Spirit. He said, rather that they may prophesy. So the main issue here is that you can speak the Word of God to people. That's the main purpose. Rather that they may prophesy. For he that speaks in a different language speaks not unto men, but unto God. No man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. He that, he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So when you talk to people plainly in their language, they can understand it and be comforted and profited. But he that prophesies in an unknown tongue, speaks an unknown tongue, edifies himself. He that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesy to the greatest he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with languages, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine? These gifts do no good unless you get some good out of them, unless you are edified in the inner man, lest you can understand what I'm saying. With these gifts of the Holy Spirit, the early believers could heal physical ailments, 
Some even raise the dead. They could cause the blind to see. They could cause the sick to rise off, off, off their beds of affliction. They could speak the word without preparation or study. They could speak in a language they had not previously learned in order for the impact for people to understand that they were speaking for God. Those who were so equipped were given this type of gift through the laying on of the hands of the apostles. Now let's look at it. Never promised that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. Never, we were never promised that. No one else was. Only two occasions. How did they get the power? How did that come about so that they could lay hands on someone and they could rise up from a bed of affliction? How did they get that? How did that come about? We have a very clear definition of it in the book of Acts in chapter 8. We find out how it happened. Because Peter had been called, Peter and John had been called, uh, because Philip had been preaching the gospel to some folks. And when they went, it says when Philip, verse 12 at Acts chapter 8, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So Philip had gone preaching the gospel, and he'd gone down to a place called Antioch, and uh, he'd gone from there on to Damascus. But anyway, the point is, or it's a Caesarea, the point is that Philip had been preaching, and they had been baptized, that had their sins remitted, but they had not received the power to do anything beyond what they could humanly do by themselves. So it says, when they had, they had, uh, he had preached the things concerning the name of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women. It says, Simon himself, and Simon was a soothsayer with, among them. Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wandered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles that were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto him Peter and John. So Philip had preached, and then those at Samaria had repented and been baptized, but they had not received any special power to do anything beyond what they could normally do humanly. And they had received the promise that was made in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the mission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come into their lives but they had no power. And they said, Peter and John, when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. But they had already received what is called in the New Testament the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in just a second. And yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they, hand, laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the laying on of the hands of the apostles. Now, what was going on in this New Testament times? What was going on in the first century? People were being saved. Their sins were being forgiven. But how did this continue to progress? And how did other people benefit from the gift of the Holy Spirit? Not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 3 says, How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. 
He's talking about the apostles first preaching the word. God bearing them witness, showing that who they were, both the signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts, G-I-F-T-S, of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The things that the apostles witnessed were written down so that the joy of the believers could be full or perfected. Now listen. 1 John 1, verse 3 and 4 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. Okay. When the last person died, upon whom the apostles laid their hands, these gifts died with them. The powers died with them. Powers of raising someone from the dead. The powers of actually having someone receive their sight that was blind. Receiving their hearing that couldn't hear. Their speech when they couldn't speak. When the last apostle passed away and the last person died upon whom their hands had been laid, then that power was gone. Well, what was the gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit himself. That's the gift. That's what you get. Not the baptism. Not the power to perform miracles. But the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in your life, enriching your life in every way. Now, John chapter 6, verse 63 tells us this. It's the Spirit that quickens. The, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit. You receive the spirit of God when you receive the words of God. When, when you allow the word of God to come into your heart, the Holy Spirit is in those words. And when you take that word into your life, you're taking in the Holy Spirit. You're receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul said it this way, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, neither is any creature that is not manifested in his sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's nothing that God can't see and do, but he says the word of God is quick and powerful. Now Jesus promised in John 14 and John 16 that the Comforter was going to come. He would guide you into all truth, John 16, 24, and 25. So when the Comforter came, the Comforter is going to dwell with us. He'll be with us forever. The Comforter comes via the Word of God. Without the Word of God, you know nothing about Jesus Christ. I, I, I think maybe that's why in the annals of human history, in all the documents that we have, nobody tells us about Jesus except the apostles. All the historical documents that we have do not give us the details of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing. But we have it in the Word of God, in the Bible, in the New Testament. That's where we get the information about Jesus. If you only get your information about Jesus through the Word, that's exactly how Jesus comes into your heart, into your life, and that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. You weren't promised the baptism, but you were promised the gift, the Holy Spirit. And He can and will 
come into your life when you say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, because I've read and I've studied and I've heard the Word of God. And it has enriched my life. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And I repent myself. And I'm going to be baptized. When I rise out of the water of baptism, I'm going to walk with Him because He's given me His Spirit in my life through His Word. That's the gift. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit given to every baptized believer whom God has chosen. And we want to tell you what a wonderful gift it is. It is the gift of life itself. That's it for this morning. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.